All right, so we're continuing our sermon series today called Navigating Life Well. Last week, Pastor Joey gave the sermon on humility. It's called Navigating Humility Well. And I want to ask you this morning to remember that sermon. Okay, we made the point that it doesn't matter who we are, we've all sinned, and that we are much uh, less than we often think we are. And when we compare ourselves to a perfect and a holy God, we realize just uh, where our place actually is in life. We are sinners. We have fallen. And we don't have it all figured out. And I ask you to remember that this morning because I'm preaching on receiving correction today. That's not necessarily the most popular of topics because People are prideful. We don't like to admit that we don't have it all figured out. Or even worse, that what we're doing is wrong. That's not something that's fun for us to admit. <clears throat> and that's why I bring up Joey's sermon from last week. We have to remember who we are before God. <clears throat> uh, if you think that you, you know, are perfect and don't need correction, uh, and that you don't need any discipline or instruction or anything like that, I want to start you off uh, with Proverbs 12.1 today. It's a, it's a good one. Proverbs 12.1. <clears throat> Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Ouch. That kind of hurts. I mean, th- that's what the Bible says. If you hate being corrected, if you hate reproof, that's stupid. And I have to admit, I've been stupid in my life. I've often shied away from correction and tried not to, to hear about it from anybody. You know, I want to do my own thing and, you know, so what if it's wrong? I'm doing my own thing. Stay out of my way. Stay out of my life. It's my life. <clears throat> but that's not a good thing to do. Uh, the verse says that we should love discipline. And to me, that's probably something that's uh, difficult for... It is to me, and I'm sure it is to you as well, to love discipline. But if we truly understand why we're disciplined and where discipline comes from, I think we can get to that point where, like the proverb says, we love discipline. Uh, My daughter Jacqueline, many of you know her. She runs around here all the time. She is very strong-willed. She has a strong personality. God has given that to her. And it's going to be used for great things, and she's going to go far in life with it. But it also gets her in a lot of trouble. All right? She doesn't like to do what her mom and her dad and other people tell her to do. And so we have to discipline her. We have to correct her. We have to give her instruction on how she should behave. Now, there's a lot of days it seems like I'm doing this more often than not with her. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of downtime with her, and I'm having to consistently correcting her, having to consistently correct her. And on those days, it would be a lot easier for me to just go, uh, just don't hurt yourself, don't kill yourself, you know. Uh, but it would not be very loving of me to do that to her. Because Jacqueline needs to learn to respect those in authority over her. She needs to learn to listen to me and to her mom. And she needs to learn to listen to God. Because God is always going to be an authority over her no matter what in her life. And so it's not loving of me 
to let her get away with things because it's not teaching her that she needs to listen to those in authority and especially to God's authority. God is the same way with us. He disciplines us because He loves us. He corrects us and gives us instruction because He loves us. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or grow weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves Him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. After reading that, I want to be sensitive because I know not everyone's father lovingly disciplined them. I know that there are many people who have unfortunately been abused by their fathers in the name of discipline. But please hear me that God is not like that. God does not abuse His children. When He disciplines His children, it is because He loves them and it is for their good. God wants to see us grow. He wants to see us mature. He wants to see us leave sin behind. And so, He does discipline us. Hebrews 12, 3-11 expands on this, and I'm not going to read that whole passage today, but I did want to read the last two verses of it. So this is Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. For they, meaning our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So once again, we see that God disciplines those whom He loves. If He didn't love you, He wouldn't discipline you. He would just let you go, let you do whatever you want, continue in self-destructive habits. But that's not what God does. He loves us. And so He disciplines us. Now, I like that the passage didn't minimize the fact that discipline isn't a whole bunch of fun when we're receiving it. All right? No one sits there and they're getting disciplined. They're going, yes, this is great. I'm really enjoying this. No, at the time, discipline is painful. It hurts. But it ultimately is worth it because of what comes from it. Whenever I hear that uh, something that really hurts and is painful but is actually good for us, whenever I hear about that, I think of rugby. I played rugby in college, and when I first showed up uh, at CSU my freshman year, I was in good shape. You know, I'd played sports in high school, but I wasn't in rugby shape, okay? You run for 80 minutes in a rugby match. You have one 15-minute break for halftime, but other than that, you are running, you're getting tackled, you're being tackled, and it just repeats over and over. All right, so I show up for rugby practice the first day, and I'm excited. The biggest thing I'm worried about is what is it going to be like to get tackled without pads on. That's what I'm worried about. What I should have been worried about was whether or not I was going to survive all the running. I show up, say hi to the coach. He's like, hey, great to have you. You know, why don't you go join the team? We're going to do our warm-up run. I'm thinking around the field once, maybe around the field twice. 
the warm-up run for my very first rugby practice was two miles. I was not doing well at that because I did my best to keep up with the team. And uh, I had not been running two miles. I don't know if I'd ever run two miles straight in my life at that point. So I I get to the end, and I I am ready to die after the warm-up run, and we still have an hour and a half of practice after that. And it was not good. At the end of that practice, I was like, I'm done. I don't know if I'm coming back tomorrow for practice. This is rough. The coach pulls us all aside. He said, I want to remind you guys that tomorrow morning and every Tuesday morning at 6.30, we have an optional conditioning practice. All I heard was optional. I said, no thanks, I'm done. I'm not going to that optional conditioning practice. But I noticed that our first game and at the next game and at the next game that all those guys who went to that optional conditioning practice were our best players. And they could play the game at a high level a lot longer than everybody else could. So I said, that's what I want to be. I'm really competitive, right? I didn't like being a sub. I wanted to be one of the guys who started. So I'm like, I'm going to start going to this optional practice. So 6.31 fall Tuesday morning, I showed up. And I ran more than I've ever run in my entire life. We were doing all sorts of crazy drills. We were running forwards, backwards, sideways, jumping, crawling. I was ready to, to just, well, I was ready to vomit, the truth be told. <laughs> I, I was like, this is it. And then to top it all off at the end, we had to choose a partner that was close to our size. And we had to do 100 meter sprints with our partner on our back. I was done at the end of that practice. It's like, man, then to top it all off, I had 10 minutes to run across campus and get to my first class that morning. No showering, barely time to get water. I walk into that class, can't feel my legs, and my friend who's taking the class with me looks at me and he's like, what happened to you? Dave, you look terrible. And I felt kind of terrible, I have to admit. But you know what? The game came that Saturday, and I noticed that once I was in, I could do better for a lot longer. And so the next Tuesday, I was like, all right, I'm going again. And that practice, that next Tuesday, was not any better than the first conditioning practice was. It hurt the entire time. And I went every Tuesday after that for as long as I played rugby, and not once was that practice any fun. But it made me a lot better at rugby. God's discipline is like that for us. It may not be fun at the time, but it is for our good in the long run. So discipline is one way that God causes us to grow and to mature. Another way He does it is through instruction. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Listen to advice and instruction that you may gain wisdom later. All right, wisdom doesn't just show up one day. Okay, people aren't just automatically wise. You become wise because you listen to instruction. You listen to people who have been there before you. They can give great instruction. Proverbs 15, 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. 
Uh, there's a philosophy a lot of people have. Uh, they kind of have this philosophy of, well, you know, I, I have to make my own mistakes to learn. That's the best way to learn. No. No, it's not. You do not have to make your own mistakes to learn. You can listen to instruction and learn from that and grow from that and actually save yourself a lot of trouble in the long run. Uh, like my daughter, when I was little, I had a very strong personality. And uh, my poor mother was constantly having to discipline and instruct me as well. Um, but one thing she would always do with me is she would make chocolate chip cookies. And when I was three or four, there was nothing better than chocolate chip cookie dough. I loved the dough. The cookies were all right. But, you know, the dough is what you really want. And so my mom would, you know, she would put me on the chair next to her, and she'd throw everything in the, the mixer, and she'd turn it on. And when she was done, she would give me a beater. And I loved licking the cookie dough off the beater, except there's not that much cookie dough on a beater. I wanted more cookie dough. Now, every time I got up on that chair, the first thing my mom instructed me was to never, ever, ever stick my hand in that bowl. Why? Because the, you know, the, one of the beaters could catch my hand, and that's going to be a mess. However, my desire one day for more cookie dough overcame my mother's instruction. And so while she turned her back, I saw my chance to get some more cookie dough. And while that mixer was still on, I stuck my hand in that bowl. And it got hit by one of the beaters. And it cut my thumb. I still have the scar right here. And it, my thumb bled all over the cookie dough. So I didn't listen to my mom's instructions. So I didn't get any cookies. I didn't get any cookie dough. I got a Band-Aid. That was what I got out of the deal. Right? I didn't need to learn the lesson that way. My mom had been very clear with the instruction. Do not stick your thumb or anything in this bowl when the mixer is on. Unfortunately, I went against my mother's instruction and got hurt because of it. Right? We do not need to hear God's instruction and then ignore it to learn that He was right. We can hear instruction, we can listen to it, and we can grow from it without the pain of the mistake. Okay, so God corrects us because He loves us. He does that through discipline, He does it through instruction. But what's the, the tool through which this correction comes? Well, I want to say that primarily that this comes through God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. So reading God's Word is key to this. It is key to us receiving instruction to us receiving correction, and to us growing in maturity. If you want instruction on a matter, go to the Bible. It is in there. The principles for making good decisions are in there. You have an area in your life you think you might be not doing the right thing in? You can always go to the Bible and learn from it and see, does your, or do your actions need to be corrected? 
So there is certainly through God's Word that He is going to correct us, that He is going to discipline us and instruct us. Now another way that God disciplines us and gives us instruction is through people. God sends people in our lives, and especially people in the church, to give us correction, to give us instruction. In the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28, Jesus commands His disciples. He says, Go forth, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So certainly that is part of what Christians are going to do. There is going to be times when we are correcting each other, where we are instructing each other. This is especially true of pastors. One of the primary qualifications for someone to become a pastor is that they are able to teach. In other words, they are able to give instruction. That's one of their primary qualifications. All right, so one of the ways we do that as pastors is preaching. While we're up here, we are giving instruction about God's Word. Now, I'm not claiming to have it all figured out, and I don't think Joey would claim to have it all figured out either, but certainly, uh, you know, God gifts pastors so that they can give instruction. And then there's also the matter of church discipline. And this falls on the responsibility of the pastors as well. Sometimes as pastors, we have to go to people and not just give them instruction, but actually tell them that what they're doing is wrong, what they're doing is a sin. And that's not easy to do, because once again, nobody likes hearing that. It's not a whole lot of fun. But we do it because we love you guys. If you have ever had a pastor correct you, please know that they're doing it because they love you. When I was a freshman in college, probably because I was on the the rugby team, I had fallen into drinking a lot uh, with my rugby teammates. And, um, you know, there were a lot of weekends uh, I went out and got drunk. And my pastor had got wind of this, and he called me over to his house one day. And I I sat there while my pastor was like, look, you're 18, so number one, it's not legal for you to drink anyway. So you drinking is a sin no matter what. Secondly, even if you were 21, getting drunk is a sin. You can't be doing this. It was not fun for me to be there. I could tell the pastor, nervous isn't quite the right word, but he was waiting to see how I was going to respond to this. Then he said, I also heard that you're going to move in with some, some friends from the dorm who aren't Christians. And he wanted to know whether these guys like to drink a lot too. And I told him that, yeah, they did. They liked to, to party, you know. And uh, he's like, look, Dave, he's like, I don't think it's wise for you to move in with them. That was hard to hear. Those were my friends. Those were my buddies. We'd been through a freshman year together studying and all, you know, there were good bonds formed there. But my pastor loved me and sat me down and said, look, it's not going to be wise for you. You're already struggling with that area of sin anyway. Why put yourself in that situation? I listened to my pastor. I actually moved in with some guys from the church. And I'm really grateful that I did because looking back, I saw a lot of friends who originally were going to church when they showed up at college and they moved in with non-Christian roommates and they fell into 
drinking and they, they were bringing girls home and all sorts of things like that that was not healthy for their walk with God. But it was because that that pastor loved me enough to sit me down and have a really tough conversation with me where he called me out on my sin. And I, he did this lovingly. I can't stress that enough. Um, it was because of that that I was shaped. I was molded. I grew in maturity in my walk with God because of that. But pastors aren't going to be the only people that God uses to correct us, to change us, to cause us to mature. Proverbs 27.17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It doesn't specify who that man is, just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Not so your pastor sharpens you, not so a prophet sharpens you. No, one man sharpens another. One person sharpens another. And so you're going to have Christian brothers and sisters who are going to correct you when you need it and who are going to give you instruction when you need it. And I beg you to respond to that well, knowing that it's because they love you and that God is using them to correct you because He loves you. I can think of one person a lot of us uh, have. Your spouse is someone who is probably going to be used to correct you, to instruct you. Uh, you know, there's probably nobody else on earth who knows your faults, who knows your sins, who knows your shortcomings as well as your spouse does. They're with you most of the time. And so God can use them in great ways to cause you to mature. Please receive that well when they're doing it. Also, spouses, please give the correction well. <laughs> you know, give that instruction well in love. We want to do that. But God can certainly use your spouse to do this as well. And finally, sometimes it's somebody completely outside the church. It could be a boss. It could be a coworker. Um, one of my struggles is organization. I don't think well organizationally. It just doesn't come naturally to me. You know, some people see things, they see a system, they're like, oh man, I'm going to organize it like this. It doesn't work that way for me. I have to work really hard to think about it. And it was one of the things as I was going through my pastoral training at Seven Mile Road that both Joey and Matt pointed out to me. He said, you've got to grow in this area. <sighs> I did, and uh, I'll tell you one area it really hurt me was uh, I teach 8th grade science at a school in Malden, and on uh, my review, my second year teaching there, I, out of 15 points, I scored like a 2 or 3 for organization. It wasn't good, all right? And the, the school I teach at, our performance is directly tied to, to the raise we get. And so here, my, my lack of organization, rather, had caused me to probably miss out on some of my rays. And so what I did was I went to one of my coworkers. And this woman is the most organized person I have ever met in my entire life. Not one slip of paper is out of place on her desk ever. She doesn't miss deadlines. She's in fact she has everything done way ahead of time. And so I went to her and I said, "I need your help." I don't think how you do. Like this never would have, your desk never would have come to my mind. How do you do this? 
And so I sat and I listened to her and I took notes on, on how to organize a desk, on how to keep track of all the things we have to do at our school. And there's even been a few times she teaches one class a day in my room where she's come back and I've started to slip in the systems a little. She'll be like, what, look at what's going on here. And always my first instinct is I want to be like, it's my desk, leave me alone. But I don't. Instead, I clean my desk. I, I do what she instructed me to do. In my third year teaching there, my organizational score went up 10 points. So I went from getting like a 3 out of 15 to a 13 out of 15. That she is someone that God has used to cause me to mature and grow in an area of my life that I really needed to grow in. Now I've spent this whole morning talking about receiving correction, receiving instruction, so that we mature and grow in our walk with Christ. But please do not think that this is a way or a means to salvation. Okay, salvation comes first. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus and that alone, not through our works. Otherwise, it stops being grace. No, we're saved first and then God causes us to grow. Then He brings discipline. Then He brings correction and instruction. So I want you to respond well. If you are receiving discipline, if you are receiving instruction, please respond well, knowing that ultimately you're receiving it because God loves you and because He wants what's best for you. and He wants you to grow in maturity.